Welcome to The Growing Edge, a podcast to explore how life forever invites us to grow into new challenges, new adventures, and new opportunities. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer, and you're invited to join us here, growing toward the light even in times of darkness. To the words and To us and how we live between the words. Well, Carrie, this is a, an exciting podcast for us because we have a special guest, and we're going to introduce her in a minute. Just thrilled to have Naomi Shihab Nye with us. But before we begin our conversation with Naomi, uh, I'd like to go ahead and read our December question of the month. In many traditions, December is the doorway into a holiday season, a season of giving and receiving gifts. We're talking about gifts of grace, gifts of the mind, heart, and spirit, the gift of life itself, not the kind of commercialism that can make the holidays less than holy days. So our growing edge question of December is, what gifts of life have you received during 2018? And what gifts of life do you want to give to others in the days, months, and years ahead? So with that question in mind, I'm just delighted to have a chance to introduce Naomi Shihab Nye. What I'd really like to tell you about is the way we met about a year ago this time out in California. I'd like to tell you about her sense of humor, her great laugh. You'll, you'll learn more about that as this um, conversation goes on. But just in case there are one or two people out there who aren't familiar with Naomi's wonderful, wonderful work in the worlds of poetry, prose, and teaching, let me say just a few things, which we will also post on our website in more detail. She's currently completing work on two books of poems, which will be out next spring, one called The Tiny Journalist and the other called Castaways for Our Time. The first one is about a remarkable young journalist in the West Bank of Palestine, and Castaways for Our Time is actually about trash, which is a very important topic these days. These books embody two lifetime passions that Naomi has carried with her. She's a great advocate for justice of all oppressed and unfairly regarded citizens, including Palestinian people, and she's a great advocate for civic responsibility, as in attempting on a regular basis to tidy up your own neighborhood, both actually and perhaps metaphorically. Recently, she's been doing what she's done all of her adult life, writing, visiting places to conduct workshops and give presentations. This past year, including Texas State University, Tassajara Zen Mountain Camp in California, 1440 University in California, where Naomi and I met, and the Arab American School in Dearborn, Michigan, the American School of Dubai, and the American International School of Muscat. And just one final word, she believes poetry calms us down and gives us energy at one and the same time. Well, that's a wonderful introduction, Parker, and I just have to say I'm so delighted and thrilled that Naomi's on the show with us today. I'm uh, Her work has 
been an ongoing companion for me, and it's such a thrill. Um, I'd like to just read a quote uh, about her from the poet William Stafford. And he said, Her poems combine transcendent liveliness and sparkle along with warmth and human insight. She is a champion of the literature of encouragement and heart. Reading her work enhances life. So welcome, Naomi, to The Growing Edge. Thank you, Carrie and Parker. I've been inspired just thinking about being with you. And William Stafford was certainly, has been one of my lifetime heroes. He was very generous to me to say such a kind thing. Well, thank you. I, I thought perhaps we could begin, um, we'll be talking about gifts and different kinds of gifts, but I would like to start with a poem that I think is a gift to the world, but has been a personal gift to me. So would you be uh, willing to read the poem, Shoulders? I would love to. Thanks, Carrie. Shoulders. A man crosses the street in rain, stepping gently, looking two times north and south, because his son is asleep on his shoulder. No car must splash him. No car drive too near to his shadow. This man carries the world's most sensitive cargo, but he's not marked. Nowhere does his jacket say, fragile, handle with care. His ear fills up with breathing. He hears the hum of a boy's dream deep inside him. We're not going to be able to live in this world if we're not willing to do what he's doing with one another. The road will only be wide. The rain will never stop falling. Thank you, Naomi. I, I have a vivid memory of the very first time I read that poem and how it moved me and touched me <clears throat> and how I knew that I had found a text to use in my own ongoing efforts to call myself and, and other people to citizenship, to responsibility for each other in this society. Because the gift of love that the father gives the son in shoulders is, I think, the, the core gift that we're all called to give to the world. The best gift we have to give each other is ourselves. But be before we get to that notion of gift giving, uh, it seems to me we have to talk first about gift receiving. Yes. Because at this level of life, if, if you can't receive a gift, if you don't know how to receive a gift, there's no way for you to give it to others, or so it seems to me. Mm. So... If we think about the work you do and the work Carrie does and the work I do as people who um, mess about in boats called poetry, songs, and prose, um, how, how did that poem come to you? You know, I, I love the boats that you mentioned, words, our words as boats. And I think about uh, how how factual the poem was. Um, one thing I decided to leave out of it was the fact that I was also carrying my son, my sleeping very heavy son at the time, I think he was three, on my shoulder as I walked down the street when I became aware of a parallel activity on the other side of the street. And somehow uh, it gave me, it gave me a great um, 
sense of comradeship with this other father whom I didn't know, uh, with our heavy sons sound asleep upon us. Uh, I had a feeling of um, renewed vigor. Yes, I can make it home because I had been feeling quite tired of, and he was so sound asleep, I didn't want to wake him up and make him walk. And the thing I, another thing I left out of the poem and looking back, it's interesting um, to think about it was a UPS truck, which was delivering large packages to my neighbor's house. And they were all marked fragile handle with care. So suddenly there was a spark in, as if in the air over my head, that whatever was in those packages was not as delicate and precious as what this unknown man across the street and I had in our arms. So those were the elements which combined um, to cause me to go inside, place the sun down on the bed and start mm. writing the poem. I'm just intrigued with, first of all, the kind of literal quality of that scene, um, which came to me when I, right. when I first read the poem. I, th I think that's one of the reasons it's so powerful. I, you, the reader can imagine herself or himself right there doing that and watching out for the splashes from those trucks. What I want to know is, you know, I've heard Carrie talk about getting getting an inspiration for a song and then having to chase it before that inspiration flies on to some other songwriter. I've always loved that that description. So what's the feeling of suddenly those pieces coming together like lightning strikes in, in your heart and your mind? Well, in my case, I often sit down as close to the, the moment of the, the spark and take, take the notes. And then I go back to it soon after and strike out whatever I feel is extraneous to the scene. And so in that particular instance, I just decided that having two boys and two parents and this truck and the delivery man, it just became too many people. Yeah. I wanted the, any reader to focus on the one boy on his father's shoulder, the, mm -hmm. the other person whose name I'll never know. That was what really had, um, had for me, had awakened me to the gift of that moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think sometimes yeah. we let things linger on, you know, like, oh, that was a nice thought, I'll do something with it later. And I, I actually think as artists that can be um, a dangerous or precarious thing to do because yeah. then we have to regain whatever we were thinking mm -hmm. or, or the feeling of the hum inside that came to us in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I always urge people to, you know, try to pay, be a, try to pay as close attention as you can to the gifts that are around you at any given moment. And I think often they're in the most unexpected places. You know, not when you go out intending to see something beautiful and have a peaceful thought. That's not when you'll. No. No, that's not the moment. It's a different moment. And I, I loved how you described it as a hum that happens when you when you catch something. Yes. Um, astounding at the corner of your eye. Or there it is, right in front of you, in the most unexpected places. You know, sometimes we find inspiration where we're expecting to find it. But so often, it's in the daily and in the personal. Mm 
Yes. And I love that I love that thought that there's a hum when you notice it, when you oh, there it is. It's and almost as if you chimed with the moment that was given to you. You were in harmony in that moment yes. in order to pick it up. And I like to think that it's often in the in between as well or in the marginal that it's around things. It's around the major focus. You know, when I go to a lecture, for example, or a movie or something where people are gathering in a space, I always feel as if I'm looking around. I feel like there's something um, about to happen in the, in the scene before the real official thing starts to happen. And I think I've felt that way all my life. Like, you know, we look forward to the first day of school, but what's happening on the day before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the anticipation or the the surrounding days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing, you know, um, and and always that sense of the periphery. You know, I I, I was up in Chicago not long ago, when, and I was walking right in front of the Art Institute, very busy street in Chicago, and in one block. You know, there was, you know, several families from different kinds of traditions. There was the the elderly man playing chess. There was like a Mormon choir. I mean, there was this like, it was the most amazing block. And I felt like I just have to sit here uh, on the sidewalk and start writing something. You know that what I mean? Mm. Yes, I, I totally know what you mean. And in fact, um, those moments of cognition of all the life that's swirling all around you and you could just pause for a moment and and be aware of it are some of my favorite moments in life. Um, And I had one of the great moments of my life on the steps of the Chicago Art Institute. Oh yeah? Some years ago, it was, um, I came out from a workshop, a, a very strange series of events had happened. So I came out on the steps to wait for a ride. Um, and I became aware that a man on the steps was saying something loudly and repeating it over and over. And he had a resonant, beautiful voice. And it was one of those instances where you hesitate to move closer to him, but you really <laughs> want to know, what is that guy saying? So I sidled over to him and he was putting his hands out and repeating this line over and over. I hesitate to say this to such a small audience, but every day is my favorite day. Uh, that's beautiful. Uh, and that's I just beautiful. thought that was like the holy, the holy man of my year. I mean, that to me was the greatest gift. I instantly pulled out my notebook and wrote it down yeah. while I was still standing next to him. I smiled at him, but he wasn't smiling at me. He was just speaking sort of to the air and repeating those exact words over and over again. And what a blessing in that awareness that every day, wherever you are, whoever you are, it better be your favorite day because one day you won't have any. That's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. That, that's yeah that, i felt that, as if he healed all the weird things that had gone on in my previous days in that moment everything became fine well, it's a beautiful summary actually of, of how i hear you living in in your poetry so often i want to go back to that street scene for a moment where you're in the rain with your child and you see a father across the street with his son I, there's so much in that story that that jumped out at me about giving and about receiving gifts before we can give gifts. You know, one t- 
to say the obvious, is attention to the ordinary, attention to what's happening right here, right now. Um, if I put myself in that scene, I might have been very concerned about staying dry, about keeping my child dry, and, and wondering why, why am I out in the rain? I need to be home in a warm, dry place. But instead, you were focusing on this man across the street and connecting with your own experience, kind of receiving the gift of that moment in a way that, that transcended the elements and, and the, the, the fact that you were getting soaking wet. The, the second thing I heard was the, the, the capacity to know that you had to go home, you had to sit down, you had to bring years of craft, really, to bear on deciding what stays and what doesn't stay to turn this in, into a poem. It, there, there's, it's like a woodcarver saying, you know, this piece of the wood goes and the, the rest of it I can keep because it has the natural shape of the thing in it. And, and the fact that you, that you focused on him because you knew that, that, that you and possibly your readers could identify with what he was doing as kind of a universal act of caring of the sort that we have to extend to each other. But to deliver that, that poem, that, that message, that kind of witness to the world required a lot of craft. And you know you yes. you passed mm -hmm. over it rather yeah. quickly, but what to leave in and what to leave out is a big deal. Well, what? Thank you for saying that, Parker. And you know, I, I don't sit down and think, okay, where's my craft? How am I going to do this? But I do think about um, where's the clarity here? You know, what I don't want people to be distracted by too many presences in this poem. Yes. I don't, they don't need to know how tired I was and how really seeing that man gave <laughs> me the feeling like, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and that was a part of my gratitude to him. You know, like there he is, his boy's maybe a little bigger than mine even, and he's carrying him. And, and then seeing, you know, the guy heaving these huge packages, also just that sense of, of carrying um, I don't know. I love the pleasure of writing down more than you need. And then I love the, the pleasure, the, the gift of mm -hmm. erasing or striking, taking out what's yes. extraneous. Mm -hmm. And often, often in conversations, we can't do that. You know, I sometimes think at, yes, a, at a dinner party, <laughs> like, um, how has the conversation gone this direction? Let's take it back to like some clearer notes it was on earlier but you can't really do that with a whole group of people at a dinner party but in a poem you or in a song or in a prose text you can so in a way that that impulse to straighten mm -hmm. up the room or mm -hmm. clarify this mm -hmm. is given to us in written arts that we don't have always in in yeah, it's, it's a gift to be able to do that, to edit, to sort of edit life that way. I mean, I've been at dinner parties where whatever's being said right now is so much worse than simply the please pass the butter 15 minutes ago. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, I would say these days, just about every dinner party goes <laughs> to a very dark place. Very I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> well, Parker, kind of going back to our to the original December of the month question, that's something, I, okay, it, it, when I'm in a group of people, especially if I don't know a lot of people in this, you know, but 
instead of doing the, the, the normal, well, what do you do? Because with, when you're a folk singer and they say, what do you do? And you say folk singer, usually, usually the, the wheels completely just jam up at that. Uh, we can't go any further. But, um. but, but, but you always, you, Carrie, you, you always add, and I'm from Indiana, which grabs people's attention right there. I know. Such cachet. Um, but but that's funny because you know poets always say that if we say I'm a poet that completely silences the room and no one wants to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. But what I have been doing in terms of the gift thing is is asking instead of like what do you do or what, you know th- those kind of questions is just saying what gave you life this year, and then I, I just ask that question and usually what will happen is um, first the person will kind of tilt their head and kind of look at you like you have nine heads and then <laughs> and then the launch into the most amazing story if you ask them and you're sincere people will tell you they have a story mm-hmm. to tell and that's so yeah, terrific yeah, thank I, you yeah, I like, I'm tempted to tell you about my granddaughter right now but I'm trying to sit on that temptation because we can so we can <laughs> pers- pursue the subject <laughs> But, um, you know, in a way, I think that takes us to the next question we would like to explore, which has to do with, with the gifts we give to each other in a society where there are now so many, not just divides, but fractures and, uh, you know, kind of small civil wars within families, within neighborhoods, within churches and other religious communities and so forth and so on. We all know that story. But to, to simply ask another person, what, what makes you come alive, um, is to kind of reboot the, the, the civic conversation in a, in a very life, life-giving way um, and, and is, is a form of kind of taking care of each other out in the rain, uh, as, it, as it were, and, and providing a kind mm-hmm. of shelter and warmth and compassion for each other that, that doesn't begin with where we're so different, where, where we believe different things, where we have ideological commitments with which we want to hammer each other, but begins with that. I think it was the poet Elizabeth Alexander, you probably know better than I, Naomi, who has this wonderful phrase, are we not of interest to each other? Are we not of interest to each other? Such yeah. a great question, yeah. such yeah. a great line, and yes, yeah. I love her work, yeah. and I love her. I've never had the privilege to meet her, but I love, I love what she does with words. So it's, yes. um, let's talk for a bit about, about what it means to be taking interest in each other. Right, and what Carrie asked too, that, that incredibly generous and simple and wide open meadow of a question, what gave you life this year? I mean, just think how many ways people could respond. They could respond with all kinds of of things. Nobody would be bereft and have no response. Um, That's also the kind of question we ask ourselves, isn't it? As artists, as writers, um, what gives me life in my mind this morning that I would wanna speak of? What gives me, a handhold, a landscape that I can cross. You know, even when we're feeling, you know, very swept away by, by grief or confusion, mm-hmm. just to ask a question yes. that is so focused. I, I just feel we're doing that on a continual daily basis. And we're believing in that, that act of practice more than we're believing 
you know, there's something great I have to say right now. No, we're believing that we can find something that gives us life in the moment. There is something more to be found every moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone said to me once that we don't live days, we live moments. Yes. And that kind of stuck with me. And finding something in that moment is one of those practices. I think it's yes. so hard for so many Americans uh, who live who who think about life in terms of living large, and of course you live in Texas, Naomi, where living large I've always understood to be a big deal, and and it's it's hard for us to value the little things, it's hard for us to, uh, to you know to treasure that particular moment on the street. Or in our in ourselves, and I, I always think that sort of the capacity to give gifts loops back to my openness of heart to my own need for small gifts in, in my own life. If I, if I don't understand that, how could I possibly understand it in the life of another person? And one of the things I've, I've written and talked about um, in my several deep dives into clinical depression was a therapist who who told me, he said, I know you feel like you're making no progress at all. But in fact, like the overall curve of your life is downward, downward, downward. But if you will keep a, a journal of tiny, tiny accomplishments, you will find that day by day, um, it may go up a little and then down a little, but overall, it's going to be going up. He said, for example, what time did you get out of bed this morning? Because in that state, it's hard to get out of bed. Um, and I, I said, well, I got out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning. And he said, well, if, if tomorrow you get up at quarter of 11, write it down and count it as an achievement. I actually started doing that. And then when I got well, as I am today, um, I, I keep valuing those small things in a way that I didn't before I had that experience. That's kind of awakened me to the to other people's need for small things. The server in a restaurant who needs who needs a simple word. You, you've made this dinner so enjoyable for us. Thank you so much. Just little things that make people glow. And I think too, um, sometimes people aren't aware of the power of their own gifts. You know, sometimes, sometimes we are, but there are gifts. And so it does, it seems kind of normal, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't everybody do that? And, um, but not always, that's not the case. And so sometimes it takes kind of embracing what it is you do and what you do well and, you know, what you've practiced and gotten, gotten better at and just who you are by nature and what a gift that is to other people. You know, I think sometimes we... We miss just how powerful those uh, gifts of our nature really are. One of the things I really love about your poetry, it so often is so close. It's so human. It's, there's that father, and he's holding this boy so tenderly. And it's just like this moment that you just see the gift between that son and that man, and the true gift it is that you're able to see that moment and then tell us about it. It's like, remember remember what it feels like to have a baby's head on your shoulder, the weight of it. There's nothing more important or fragile or, or strong 
than the desire to keep that safe. That's a gift to ourselves and a gift to others. And I love so much. I love everything you've both said, but I love that you've emphasized the small moments, the possibly taken for granted moments, the tiny increments, as I always call them, with writing. When people say to me, oh, I can't write a poem, I'll say, fine, write a phrase, Mm -hmm. write a couple of phrases. They might turn into a poem, write a sentence. Mm -hmm. Um, One time at Tassajara, we had a, a little project where we just wrote one sentence on the same piece of paper every time we sat down on our pillow in a circle and and then we wouldn't look at that paper again until we came mm. back to the circle mm. then we we'd write down another single sentence mm. and you know always reducing it i think we become so um greedy in some ways for for something larger a big accomplishment when these small little things, these moments, these increments are all around us all mm-hmm. the time. It makes it makes life so much uh, more fun. It makes life so much more joyful. Uh, it, it liberates my spirit to start counting the little things. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be 80 yeah. in February. I can remember when I was 40 and the idea was to make a big impact on the world. <laughs> and so, you do, you did. You always do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've learned that, you know, the big impact comes from a million, million little things that you collaborate with other people in. And that, and that makes my life so much less type A and so much, so much more worth, <laughs> worth living. I used to measure, you know, accomplishment in terms of getting that next book out the door. But that's not what it is for me anymore. Accomplishment is now having a wonderful conversation with my granddaughter last night about money management. She's 27. So she, you know, so, uh, you know the new she, word she's working on. I learned this from her. She says, I said, what are you up to? She says, I'm adulting. <laughs> yeah, I haven't new, heard that. Word There's a poem in there, I Naomi. So she, in fact, she came to our door a couple of weeks ago and she said, this adulting thing has been going pretty well, but I just figured out that my driver's license has expired. So <laughs> I, I need you to I take me her. to the Department of Motor Vehicles. I just thought that was a hoot. But, you know, it's, it's just, I, I feel liberated and, and, and every day is so, so much more worth living because I can't get a book out the door more than once every four or five years. But I can have that little conversation with somebody several times a day. Right. That's beautiful. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think a lot about trying to remember or trying just to notice what we could so easily miss. And I've thought about that all my life. I was never uh, really a person who thought about, you know, big goals, big ambitions, or I didn't like to think in terms of the next big project, but I did like to think of paying a little better attention than I would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Yeah. So since you mentioned your granddaughter, I'm going to mention my grandson. He (laughs) is uh, two and a half. The other day it was cold and rainy outside and he was kissing the windows of our sun porch <laughs> on, on the back porch. And I said, what are you doing? And you could see these little lips lining up. And he said, I'm kissing uh, the windows because Michael is out there. My husband's studio is in the uh, backyard. Uh, and I just thought, 
there is not going to be a better poem today than that. That is that is amazing. To kiss the windows because a person you love is in that other yeah. building. You can't yeah. even see him. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's yeah. what we need to do. Like when our plane takes off, we need to kiss that window and look down on our city and all the people we love. Yeah. 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 Or, or even, even looking out the front window, you know, strangers going by on the street. Just kiss that window. Yeah, because the whole world is out there. Right? The whole world is out there. It's sort of back to shoulders again, you know, carrying one another and, yeah. and thinking of one another, even when that other person is not visible. Yeah. And that and the poem is kind of a kiss on the window. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it really and, is. And the song, you know, the song is as well. Yeah, and I think I think uh I've I've always felt about your work whenever I encounter it, whenever I I sit with it and read it, and there's a lot of kissing on the window <laughs> happening. That that there's this sense of yes, people are incredible. They're they're bewildering and they're disappointing, and they're stunning, and they're beautiful. And you know, I, I've always gotten this sense from your work that you know there's this love. I mean, just this love for the natural world, but for our human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, landscape, yeah. individual landscape, but also the community landscape. And uh, I've always really just loved that. Thank you, Carrie. You. I feel that from your work and I feel that from Parker's work. And it that's such a beautiful thing to say. I think of E.B. White saying, um, all I was ever trying to say in everything I wrote was that I loved the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a wonderful yes. um thing to carry with us and and when we're in the season of gifts coming and going and this sort of shopping frenzy that surrounds us and all the signs all the just to say you know what's some little remembrance I could make today of connecting to my love for the world or my love for a person I haven't talked to in a long time or you know I think everybody could um, just ask ourselves if we find ourselves feeling anxious uh, about it all, what's some little remembrance, some way to love mm-hmm. that's small but is genuine? And, and I probably already have what I need to give it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I and it, you don't have to worry about getting wrapping paper right. then. Yeah. Or, or or you could just tie it up with the tiniest little scrap of ribbon that you found from last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think right. I think the three of us at this very moment, along with Allison Quantz, who's helping us make this podcast, should uh, charter and establish and apply for nonprofit status for the Smackaroo Club. <laughs> <laughs> Totally devoted to just kissing the world all the time. <laughs> I am going to be. I'm going to be thinking about that that image. You know, the wisdom of children between two and five. You know, it's extraordinary. When, when another granddaughter of mine was six at Thanksgiving several years ago, we asked her to say the grace, and the first thing she said was, "I am grateful for the earth." Because without it, we'd be floating in space. (laughs) She is so right. (laughs) And there's so many adults who miss that. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you both think about people, 
sometimes who have no access to children in their daily lives. I think about that a lot uh, because I think, um, you know, if we do have access to children, people in our families, neighbors, kids we know, people we work with, uh, it's just such a gift to be in their light. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. you know, not to have that access, it's it's unthinkable what it would be like. And even those little encounters, I, I, okay, I remember I was, on a, I was on a flight and I was sitting next to this very young mother and she had a little boy who was just a handful. He was sweet, adorable, but he had lots and lots of energy. And she's trying, and she had a baby, um, a little girl who was maybe two months, like three months, maybe. And so she's trying to juggle all that, you know, all to, you know, and you just, there I am. And, and I'm just sitting there and she doesn't know me and I'm watching all this go on. And finally I just look at her and I said, I know you don't know me, but I love little babies. And I, I've had one, so can, would you like me to hold the baby? And she just goes, yes, here. <laughs> it was just, okay. And, and it was just this yeah. wonderful moment of recognition in a sense. It's like, it's like yes, yes. So, well, you know, and Carrie, there's another question we could ask. Whose baby could I hold today? Yeah. Like in our, in the gift season, like, and it doesn't have to be a real baby, like, who needs some little thing done that I could offer and it would be easy for me yes. to do. You know, I think we can always give that kind of gift and, and be reminded of just the, that, that soft wave of the world that carries us along that um, it feels better to participate in it, you know, from many angles. Very much so. I, I think a lot, Naomi, about the fact and Carrie and I talk about this a lot that there you know, there are several basic human needs, but among them are uh, is the need to feel at home on the face of the earth. Mm. Um, and so many people these days don't. Um, and that fact, sadly, tragically, very dangerously, is driving a lot of our political life. They don't feel at home with the human diversity on the face of the earth. They, they don't understand what my six-year-old granddaughter understood, that without it, we'd be floating in space. And um, and this 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 business of reaching out in the small ways that we can to to what is always within reach, always within reach, um, is really a way of helping ourselves feel more at home on the face of the earth. And you know, at my age, I do think about my own mortality more than I did when I was twenty-five, and uh, I, I I can't think of a sadder way to die than with the thought that I never really showed up here on earth as, as someone who fully occupied this gift called life itself on this particular planet. Um, and yet the answer is so simple. We, Carrie and I have a friend named Greg Ellison, who's a wonderful uh, African-American theologian at Emory University. And Greg often talks about a lesson he learned from his grandmother on a front porch in Georgia or Alabama. As a very young guy, his grandmother saw that he wanted to change the world. And one night she told him, Greg, you can't change the world, but you can always change what's within three feet or so mm. of where you stand. Always, always, always. So Carrie wrote a song about that. And when Greg does his workshops, he hands people 
a tape measure in effect. He says, put this in your pocket the next time you're feeling despairing about the world, get it out, stretch it out, and see what's within three feet of where you're standing and make a difference there. That's you know, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So we can really do that. Right. And it does, you know, that idea, I love that story. And I, the idea that, you know, we have tremendous power in how we choose to live our daily lives. Three feet around us every day, we have the power and the opportunity to hold the world as tenderly as that man and protectively as that man was was holding that child. You know, it's like we, we have that opportunity to interact with, you know, the world that way, with others that way, to, to take that spirit into our conversations um, of connection. Yes, oh yes, I know what that feels like, you know. It's so important. I'd love to ask Naomi a, a question. I'd like to ask you a question about how you understand in, in the times that Carrie just described, very troubled times politically, socially, economically, globally. And I know how deeply engaged you are with many of those, of those issues. We've, we've talked a fair amount here about what all of us, no matter what our walk of life, can do to give and receive the gift of simply being present to one another, witnessing to each other, um, kissing each other through the window. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about how you see the responsibilities and opportunities uh, and challenges of people who have a more public voice, like poets and and novelists and songwriters and people who write nonfiction. Um, I know that in recent years, I have felt a growing responsibility to use my voice in ways that aren't always popular. Sure. I think a lot about Thomas Merton, who, who wrote 60 books in the course of his lifetime. After he died, he published another 60. They just kept coming out. I, I call it the first recorded case of perish and uh, and publish, <laughs> but uh, he he um, he wrote very pious stuff in the first half of his alive writing life, and then when he turned to the Vietnam War and to race and to economic justice, he lost a lot of his pious audience who got very angry with him. And of course, for Merton, it was more important to speak his own integrity than to pander to an audience. Right. And so I'd just be interested to know, as a poet who's who certainly has um, a standing around some critical political issues of our time, how do you how do you understand that? Well, I think it, I I appreciate the question and the difficulty of it. But I think we have to be honest in using our voices as we go, whether or not our honesty mm -hmm. will make us more popular or um, guarantee that our book is not used in a classroom or used in a classroom. I think we can't uh, be worried about that um, response of the audience. We have to be more concerned about um, the value of truth telling to us. And I find it so fascinating and, and weird that we're living in a time where lying is as 
is predominating in the mm -hmm. in you yeah. know coming from it, it's just mm -hmm. shocking to me because I remember as a child um, having this lesson I would never say it was not, nothing was beaten into me but it was um, repeated again and again and again by my mother by my father by my German grandfather by teachers by people in different religious capacities, you know, your Bible school teacher, your Sunday school teacher, how important it was never to lie. And since we're in, living yeah. in such a lying time, I think those of us who don't like that are called upon to tell our truth or our truthful perspective, our position on something um, ever the more so. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel a strong obligation to do that. And in some ways, I feel like the tiny journalist, for me, the book, which refers repeatedly to this young girl, Jana Ayad in the West Bank, who's she's 11 now, but she started taking video film and documenting what's going on around her village when she was seven years old. I find wow. her an amazing um, encourager of truth telling. Mm -hmm. from those of us who are in less mm -hmm. difficult positions on the earth. We probably don't have someone standing on our front porch with a machine gun trained on us as she and her family have had many times. And as people in the West bank, unfortunately have gotten used to over the many decades as my own grandmother was used to, we have to keep reminding ourselves to speak up. I deeply admire Michelle Obama right now, mm -hmm for yes. her new book, for the truth she is telling in it. Uh, I've read only a part of it, and my mother has absconded with the book, so I haven't, <laughs> but I will have it back soon and finish it. But I admire people like her who are very much in a public eye and who are willing to stand up and say personal things, say honest things, and not worry about the consequences. And as for poetry, I think that's our job. We have to keep calling yes. out what we witness or what is happening or what no one is talking about, but we can't stop thinking about it. We have to keep calling that out. Yeah, yeah. The, the lying game being played in this country right now is very, very dangerous. And it's stunning not only that people in very visible positions are doing it so blatantly, Right. Uh, on tape that can be compared side by side, but that it also gets applauded yeah. by people who yes. who apparently think it's clever or or you know good for you for pulling the wool over their eyes or right. th that one tape is is fake news. This tape is what you really meant. Or it, so I I totally agree. But I, I was going to say that, that that it answers for me what your answer to that question, which I really find empowering and inspiring, is also an answer to another, I think, fundamental human yearning, which is that in addition to feeling at home on the face of the earth, we want to feel at home in our own skins. Yes. And when I, when I lie or when I hedge my truth or when I back away from an, a, a significant encounter on behalf of the truth, especially when it involves harm being done to someone else, I don't feel at home in my own skin. 
Mm. And and that's what a beautiful the, way to say it, Parker. That's so true. Yeah, I just and I can't abide that yeah. feeling. I think when I was younger, you know, when you're younger and you're trying to figure out who the heck you are and what you really believe, um, I, I I sometimes you know uh, hedged it or cut it short or ma masked it or hid it, and and then and I didn't recognize the symptoms of not feeling at home in my own skin. Today I recognize them immediately. And I know I have to I have to get out of that corner. And I really agree with you in terms of the the job of the poet, the job, you know, the the work of of the, the songwriter, you know, and the author, you know, to to speak our truth as clearly as we know how to. And and the importance of integrity of speech is I, I do I, I find it very troubling, you know, this I don't know dismissal. Of integrity of speech, but I think that it's not being as dismissed as you as you might think. You know, because I think there are many of us who uh, encounter that, and it makes our insides uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But also, when we we're encountering those shifts and you know maneuvering of integrity of speech. It's it just feels like wow I just want to go take a bath right <laughs> you know yeah it's how important it is though I mean you know there's something really powerful um, and and hard you know sometimes it's really hard to try to figure out how to to stay true to yourself and also true to staying in relationship it's not easy it's, it's it, but I don't know love is easy people are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful for this kind of community. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that's been modeled for me in this conversation is community. And, it, and as always with community, we've mingled our personal lives with our work lives, um, which, is, which is another big barrier in this society. You know, so many people, I think, feel a need to, to put on one mask at work and then be something else at home. And I love it when the conversation can range from our political responsibilities as people with a public voice to our grandchildren and kissing the windows on the on the back porch. I, I know that we have to bring this to an end, sadly so, um, but maybe as the oldest person in the group, I feel a responsibility to, <laughs> to, to ring that bell. Um, <laughs> Because I'm not getting any younger here, folks. You know? <laughs> Parker, may I say just one thing? Yeah. Um, in the beginning, when we started talking about having this conversation, you referenced a poem of mine I had sent you that's called, Are You Ready for Christmas? Which I mentioned was a question I always dislike about this season. Like, what is readiness? Yeah. What is ready? What does that mean that you bought all your gifts and they're all wrapped? Yeah. And I've always felt a little, um, I don't know, negative and vindictive when anyone <laughs> says that question. <laughs> it's not a very good way to feel because you get asked it a lot. Yeah, ho, 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 it's Christmas time. <laughs> I know. So being with, being with all three of you has caused me to feel like we could just say, sure, I'm ready every minute. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for any holiday. You name it right now. Let's have it. That's great. Let's do it. Let's yes. do it. Any yes. tradition, any holiday, y'all come. Y'all join in. We're completely ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask oh. for 
each of us to mention one or two takeaways from this conversation, maybe things that we ourselves are um, going to go home with, as it were, um, that has come from this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be together uh, online uh, and and uh, in spirit and heart and mind. Oh, thank you. May I go first? Oh, please. Well, I so honor the fact that you mentioned your hard times and when a therapist, a caring friend would say, just measure the tiny progress, I will carry that forever. That is so powerful, Parker. And I will also carry Carrie's question, what's given you life this year? Because that is such a beautiful door opening and we could use it every day. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you so much. Well, um, my, my takeaway is, is, is also my appreciation, Parker, for your willingness to be so open and honest and human with the joys of your life, with your granddaughter, with all these wonderful joys you've got, but also with things that have been difficult and that you've come through and the perspective that you bring with that um, and the honesty that you bring with that. So I'm, I'm taking that away with, with continuing appreciation. And Naomi, I have so many things I'm <laughs> taking away from this conversation with you. But I'll just say, you know, I'm going to be kissing the window <laughs> Yay, in the next few days and saying, thank you, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to say that one of the things I'm taking away here is the wonderful forms that friendship can take. Um, as among the four of us, really, there are three people talking, but Allison Quantz, our dear friend, who, without whom these podcasts wouldn't be possible, <laughs> is is on mm-hmm. with us to make sure that we don't run the train completely off the rails. <laughs> which, 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 with the likes of us, is a I high, could. high probability, right? So, so I'm. I feel deeply this this friendship that is also for me overlapped with vocation. Um, I have this longtime sense that when you meet someone whom you experience as a friend, maybe feeling like I've known this person forever, even though we've only met five minutes ago. That you're all, you're also meeting someone who's who's been placed here on earth for some of the same reasons you have. That's the overlap between friendship and vocation, and and so I feel that very deeply with this uh, online and in person assembly. That will stay with me for a long time. So, dear friend, thank you for that. Thank you. Oh, I, I have one more little story. That's one more little story. A couple of weeks ago, there was an election, and so I was home. I was off the road. On election day, you know, these these gifts that people don't know they have. I live in a town where there's a a university, and there was a polling place, and the lines were literally two and a half hours long for the students, uh, which is a a, a real problem. But I decided with a friend, went down with my guitar, and, you know, started singing to the students, and just walking down the line, singing, and and asking them, like, okay, what's your name? We're going to write a song about you and about who you are and why you're in line. And so we just would start right, and so just kind of off the top of my head, making silly rhymes. And But people 
um, there was just this amazing moment of, first it was like a little embarrassment, this woman with a guitar, and they're writing a song about me, and then there was this moment of, me, I'm worthy of a song. I am a song. My name is a song, and I'm standing here, right now. And, uh, uh, and then there was this thank you for, for you know, making this song with me and then next to the next person and then there was like oh no she's coming to me that's beautiful and generous carrie yeah. but the the idea that the idea that that we all are a song we're all a poem we're all uh, an incredible story and uh, uh and so thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the poems and words and stories and uh, kisses to the window. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer, Parker Palmer, and this month, Naomi Shihab Nye. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out the next episode when we'll talk about uh, our January question of the month. And that's January 2019. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation, too. Now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach uh, new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters, our dear friend, for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and oh yes, she is a gift. <laughs>